playing. I, I have to be honest with you. <laughs> I feel like I should be in costume or something. But uh, hey, uh, we started out uh, week one of this series. We're, we're going to be uh, in this uh, series uh, right up till right before Easter, uh, Genesis 1 through 11. And uh, we're kind of studying origin story. And uh, last week, we kind of looked at the idea that the very first verse of Genesis 1 tells us who the hero of the story is. In the beginning, God. That God is the hero of the story. And then we're going to go into the first telling of the creation story. And it was important to me. This is kind of a, a lo- it's an entire chapter. Um, uh, it'll be on the screen behind you. But it was important to me that you kind of hear uh, this original poem, song, whatever it happened to be. Uh, I-, I wanted to hear all the way through. Uh, just so you can kind of see uh, what our hero is up to and what our hero is accomplishing. So Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. And God called the vault sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear, and it was so. And God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas, and God God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times, days, and years. And let, them, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to give light to the earth, and it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser night to govern, uh, light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light to the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds. And every winged bird, God created birds according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God says so, right? Uh, So God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our own image, 
and our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth, all the birds in the sky, and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great word. We thank you for our origin story, and that there is a plan, and that there is a purpose for it. Uh, This does not happen by happenstance. Help us to remember that. Help us to live on mission. It is in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. I recently came across a list about the most inappropriate wedding songs. That if you're ever at a wedding and there's a DJ and he has kind of an open time where you can go and kind of select a song, these are absolutely the songs that you do not want to pick. All right, that, that if these start playing at a wedding, it will bring the mood down very quickly. The number one on the list was, I still haven't found what I'm looking for by YouTube. <laughs> Never, ever request it, ever, all right? Uh, number two was, Another One Bites the Dust by Queen. Uh, number three was, Chicago, If You Leave Me Now, all right? Number four was, Shania Twain, That Don't Impress Me Much. Number five, and this is certainly deserves to be on the list, is Don't Marry Her by Beautiful Self, all right? Uh, number six is You've Lost That Love and Feeling by The Righteous Brothers. Number seven is Nothing Lasts Forever. Uh, number eight is Don't Go Breaking My Heart. Number nine is Gold Digger. <laughs> and number 10 is What's Love Got to Do With It, all right? And I think that we all understand on kind of a fundamental, basic level that a song is going to be interpreted different than a story. Songs and stories are interpreted, interpreted differently. So if I told you a poem about my kids, it would most definitely start, roses are red, violets are blue, all right? That's the extent of my poetry ability. But if I told you a, a poem about my kids, and I said, hey, listen, part of the poem was, Lila's eyes twinkle like the stars in the sky you would not draw a conclusion about that poem and say, have you seen Lila's eyes? They are as bright as the stars in the sky. All right, that girl blinds a room when she walks in. No, you would hear that poem and you would say, Steve loves his daughter's eyes. Or if I would say to you that Sam's smile can light up a room, you would not surmise from that poem that if the power went out tonight, I could bring Sam over to your house and he would light up your whole house. Right? You would surmise from that poem that I love seeing my son smile. So the book of Genesis is really, really interesting 
Because in the book of Genesis, there are two tellings of the creation story. The first telling is the one that I just read to you, Genesis 1, and it is, you could almost read it as a poem, right? There's that refrain of everything being good, and there was evening, and there was morning. There's a, there's a refrain that works through this poem. The second telling of the story we're going to look at next week, and it is more of a narrative, It is more of a traditional telling of the story. And so while we want to be careful drawing too much conclusion from chapter one, there are some obvious conclusions that we can draw even from a piece of poetry, even uh, from a story being told in that way. And and we could be here all day, trust me. Uh, I've been trying to whittle some of this down. I want to make two kind of large points about what I think we we learn from the, the creation poem as I would call it, and the first is this. God has a plan, and he is executing that plan in a thoughtful and logical way. I think we can certainly draw this conclusion from Genesis 1, that God clearly has a plan, and he is executing his plan in a logical and thoughtful way. Let me kind of walk you through. He creates light first. You gotta turn the lights on. I learned that from that that, uh, commercial uh, about the hotel. We'll leave the lights on for you. You gotta have lights, right? And then ground and sea. And then he fills the ground and sea with animals. And then he creates the first man and the first woman. And he tasks them with taking care of, of those animals in the garden. God is executing his plan. As you walk through Genesis 1, he is executing his plan in a thoughtful and logical way. I love this because chaos bothers me. Right, chaos really bothers me. When I walk into a party that is like feeling out of control, Cheryl and I will have like a safe word, right? It's like, we're getting out of here, right? I don't, I don't like to be in chaos. If I walk into a situation where there is no plan, I will develop a plan and Cheryl will be right by my side developing it with me. We love a good plan. How do you not have a plan? Right, everybody needs to have a plan, right? And so I love that we serve a God who is thoughtfully, and logically executing his plan, that God is not just responding to things, right? This world is not taking God aback, but instead he is executing his plan. I was talking to someone a while back about why God allows pain and suffering. If he was a good God, why would he allow that? And we're gonna talk about this in the weeks to come in the book of Genesis, but here's what I always tell people whenever I'm asked this question is, I say, you understand that you and God are, you're on the same page with God when it comes to pain and suffering. Read the book of Revelation. Someday Jesus is gonna return and death and disease and sin are gonna be destroyed and we will live in perfection forever with Jesus. So you and God are absolutely on the same page with the plan that someday disease and death and destruction are gonna be over and we're gonna live forever with, with God. But right now, what's happening right now is God, right now, God is executing his plan. Right now, God is unfolding his plan. And right now, as you study the Bible, there have been different kind of eras of the plan. That's what we mean about the Bible is just one continuous story. But right now, the part of the plan that we're in right now is called the age of grace. It is a great time to be alive. It is the age of grace. Is anyone that responds to our Lord Jesus Christ can, can be saved. Anyone that puts their faith into him. So, and God right now is using all things. He's using victory and he's using what seems like defeat to bring all people to himself. He has a plan. He's executing his plan and we're in the middle of it right now. And I think we can understand that on a macro level. 
Yeah, yeah, God has, he's thoughtful, he's logical, he's unfolding his plan in a thoughtful and logical way. I think we understand that on a macro level, on a world level, it's when we get to the micro level that it can be hard. The idea that God creates light before he creates land. He creates land before he creates animals. He creates sea before he creates fish. He creates a garden before he creates human beings. On a micro level, waiting on God to unfold his plan can be frustrating. Some of you are in a season right now and will be in a season as the year unfolds. You are in a season where you are waiting on God to do something. And you are getting restless. And you are getting impatient. When is the job going to come? I've been waiting forever. When is the spouse going to come, you think? When is the new life going to come? When are the children going to come? And here's what I want to remind you of this morning. He has to create water before he can create fish. He is a thoughtful and logical God. So what if right now God is in the process of creating a garden that you are ultimately going to flourish in? But you got to let him get the garden done first, right? He, and he, right now he's in the middle of creating that garden. What if God is creating the sea right now that you are ultimately going to swim in? What if God is creating the land that you are going to run in? He has a plan for you, but his plan is going to unfold in a thoughtful and logical way. Be patient. That's one of the things I learned from, from Genesis 1 is watching God unfold the plans. Like there have been times, uh, you know, uh, going, going back away for us, it, it was having children. It's like, when are the children going to come? When are the children going to come? And we realized that God was behind the scenes executing his plan the entire time. So be patient with him. He has life for you. He has an agenda for your life. Give him time and watch what he does. Be patient, be faithful, walk in the knowledge and know that he has a plan. So that's the first thing I learned from Genesis 1, from this great poem, is that God has a plan. He's executing it in a logical and thoughtful way. The second big idea that I see is that human beings, and we'll see this in chapter two as well, human beings clearly have a unique place in God's creation. Human beings have a unique place in God's creation. His plan is primarily about and for people. Not totally, don't mishear me, but primarily. So here's uh, the part of the poem I want to show you. Then God said, let us make mankind in our own image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Human beings, people, we bear the image of God. Now listen, there's only one person who ever bore the image of God perfectly. And it was the part of the deity, God, God the Son, Jesus Christ. We are told uh, in the Bible later that he is the exact representation of the image of God. He is the exact representation. I bear the image of God. I am not the exact representation. And, and neither are you. We sin. We make m mistakes. We are not the exact representation. But if you ever want to know what it looks like to be the exact representation, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is where you want to be. That, that is your sweet spot. And you can see how Jesus lived. You can see the decisions you, you make. And here's how I like to say the, the life of Jesus. If you want to see what it looks like to be perfectly human, study Jesus. 
the exact representation of God. Study Jesus and you will see what it looks like. Um, you, you and I are, are not that way, that, that we, we sin. But you see in this text, though, that humankind, mankind, whatever kind of tag you want to put on that, we are different. We are made in the image of God, and this is different than all the other animals and all the other creation. Listen, all right, some of you are getting ready to send me an email already. Hear me out. Animals and plants have their place. This is why an anti-environmental stance among Christians doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Because in Genesis 1 and later on in Genesis 2, we are tasked with caring for creation. We should care about creation. Right? God has tasked us with taking care of this earth. So an anti-environmental stance as a Christian just doesn't make sense. But an environmental stance that values creation over human beings... That also doesn't make sense. Human beings are above creation, uh, the, the rest of creation. We are made in the image of God. So I want to spend just a few minutes talking to you about the, the way that we bear the image of God. What does it look like and, and what does it mean? Because God has placed us uh, in a kind of rulership and leadership position over the rest of creation. So what does it look like to bear the image of God as human beings? And this will give our lives purpose as we take a look at these uh, three quick points that will give our life purpose. But also when we begin to look at other human beings around us, we will begin to see them hopefully as image bearers of God as well. So how do we bear the image of God? I think there's a lot of ways, but I think there's three uh, important ways, four important ways, maybe five, all right? We'll see. The first is community. All right, community. Did you notice how God speaks of himself in this text? He says, it's like he's talking to somebody. Let us make mankind in our own image. Um, This is one of, I believe, one of the first places that we see the idea of the Holy Trinity. God the Father, God the Son. We learn from the book of John that God the Son is there at the creation story. God the Son, and then God the Holy Spirit, remember, who is hovering over the deep. Right? So we, we know for sure from Genesis 1 that two of the three trinity were there. We learn in John 1 that the third is there as well. So this is the first spot that we see the Holy Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit who resides in every believer. And God is modeling for us part of what it looks like to bear his image. That we are in community with one another. That if God isn't a lone ranger, what right do I have to be? Right? If God is in community, if God is in relationship, I should be as well. But even more important than that, God is showing us throughout the scripture how this community should look, what it should look like. That uh, throughout the, the Bible, we see God glorifying his son, Jesus. We see the spirit glorifying Jesus. We see Jesus glorifying the father. They are lovingly and willingly serving one another. And if you want to be an image bearer of God, this is what our relationships look like. That we are willingly, all right, no one's forcing us to do this. We are willingly and lovingly serving and glorifying, if you will, little g, glorifying one another. That when I'm in a relationship with you, I love you and I serve you. That that when you're in a relationship with me, you love me and you serve me. That we are bearing the image of God in our relationship. Say, man, I'm in a relationship with you. I'm I'm gonna serve you. And even in a lot of ways, even if I'm not in a relationship with you, I am seeking because you bear the image of God. I'm gonna love you and I'm gonna serve you. And that brings me to the number two way um, that we bear the image of God is love. 
God is love. It goes to the root of who he is. So one of the ways that we can carry out the image of God is that we treat others with love. Right, so the rest of creation, animals and all that sort of thing. I, I, I love animals. We, uh, we had to put our dog Daisy down earlier this year. It is hard, right? Um, but but a- animals are different than human beings. Animals are instinctual, right? It hurt to, I mean, I'm getting a little emotional even talking. It hurt to put our dog down, but I'll tell you, throughout the time that she was alive, she wouldn't have done half the stuff that she did if she loved us, right? <laughs> That dog was instinctual, right? So that, that she didn't act in love. The minute the door would close, she'd be like, you know what? I'm gonna tear up the trash. She wouldn't do that if she loved us. We'd, we'd forget to create her one time. We'd come home and trash all over the house. It's like, she's instinctual, right? She just hears the door shut and then, bing. I could go for some trash. Mom and dad aren't home. I could go for some, right? And that's just the way animals are, right? You, you, you see something on National Geographic where, you know, I, I saw a video one time on National Geographic where a, a, a lion had killed a hyena, right? And in the middle of the night, this hyena went into the, the, the pack of lions, went to the king kind of lion, went up to him while he was sleeping and killed him. Nobody's hauling that hyena into court, and you've done a very bad thing. You're gonna go away for the rest of your life for that. No, they're instinctual. We all understand that. Human beings are different. We act in love. We're supposed to act. We can reject love. We're supposed to act in love. Here's how First John says it. All right, I'm glad I got through that Daisy stuff. I didn't want to dishonor her, but girlfriend had issues. All right, um, First John. All right, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. This is how we bear the image. Love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his, only, uh, his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. God is love. And so, you, you know, you might be like uh, thinking, is there any kind of loop that, that I can kind of get out of this thing that God is saying that I have to do, that I have to love? Is there any way for me to get out of it? And here's what Jesus said. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Oh man, right? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven, Right? Lions and hyenas, when they have an enemy, they they just go in and do their thing. They're acting on instinct. He said, no, no, you fight against your instinct and you love your enemies. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, Jesus, uh, God does. He sends his reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I love how Rick Warren said this in his book, Purpose Driven Life. He said, since God is love at his very essence, the greatest lesson we can learn in this life is how to love. Since God is love and we are created in his image, the greatest lesson we can learn is how to love others. And it's super hard and it's super challenging, but it is so worth the fight. How am I going to love my neighbor? My neighbor that maybe for you, your neighbor is driving you insane. This is worth the fight. 
How can I learn to love my neighbor when he does the same annoying thing day after day after day? Yeah, it's worth the struggle. How am I going to love my coworker? My coworker that I'm going to see tomorrow morning, and we had a kind of terse exchange on Friday, and I'm just kind of, you think that, how am I going to love my coworker? How am I going to love an enemy against my nation? Any Christians struggle with this this week? How am I going to act and think in a loving way toward an enemy of my nation? How am I going to love a personal enemy? How am I going to love my spouse? How am I going to love my kids? We are in the deep water now. People often will say to me, I really, I just want to go deep. Here's deep. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. No, I was more looking for something I couldn't understand. I know you were. I know what you were looking for. But this is the deep water of Christianity. It is loving others the way Christ has loved us. I am feeling sassy today. All right. Um, And I think some of these things are hard and tricky depending on what season you're in right now. But like I said, it is a fight worth fighting. Here's another way we're made in the image of God. Rest. Amen, right? That God rested. Now, God wasn't tired. We we get tired. I I don't believe God was tired. I believe that God... Uh, God was completed creation and he decided to set an example for us in his rest on the seventh day. I was talking to someone earlier today that's going to have their 77th birthday. Cheryl's dad this year is turning 77. What a great birthday. Seven, seven. It's the Bible's number for completion, right? That, 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 that this, or perfection, excuse me. I don't want to freak anybody out. No, <laughs> excuse me. It's the Bible's number for perfection, not completion. I'm not calling anything, all right? So it's the Bible's number for perfection. What, what, what a great, yeah, I'm 44 in, in, a, in a week. It's like, eh, that means nothing. But 77, it's the number of perfection. What, what a great birthday to have. And so we rest from our work and we rest in God. So what does this mean? And um, you could do a whole like separate sermon on this, but I think one of the things it means is, uh, man, take a nap. Rest, enjoy a good book, turn off the phone. I heard somewhere recently that they have an off switch. Um, You turn turn off your phone. Um, uh, Listen to a sermon, listen to a podcast. Uh, If you sit a lot for your job, take a walk, exercise, rest from your work, rest, whatever you do, rest from it, and then rest in God. It's one of the ways we bear the image of God. The last way, and I really do think I need to wrap this thing up because... I'm saying stuff I don't intend to say. So, um, is leadership. That the role of humanity is to rule and manage this earth. Uh, God gives his power, uh, God gives us power and authority uh, to to rule. And um, you might not feel like it, but you have an area of rulership uh, in your life. What I mean by that is you have an area that you manage you have an area that you have authority over. You have an area that you have some influence in. God has given that to you. God has given that influence to you. It's part of the original creation story is that God, we little are, right? God's the ultimate ruler. We little are rule. We have authority. We have influence. For some of you, your primary influence right now is at home and as you're raising kids. For some of you, you have some influence that you've gotten at work. Um, and you oversee and, and kind of rule over others. For some of you, your primary authority right now is school, uh, and your job is to study and do well there. But every single person in this room, and, and for some of us, it's, it's just our life. 
right? That, that we have a certain amount of rulership and authority over our lives. And so one of the kind of ways that we walk in the image of God is this, we rule well. We rule well. And whatever influence God has given us, whatever authority God has given us, we rule well because we are image bearers of God. What does this mean? We rule in creativity, like God does. We rule in creativity. So when you hit obstacles, when you hit roadblocks, you don't curl up and give up, right? When you hit obstacles, you say, man, God has given me a mind of great creativity because I am made in his image. So I'm gonna go after this problem. I'm gonna go after this obstacle and I'm gonna help, I'm gonna use my God-given wisdom and authority to solve it. So we rule in creativity. We rule in righteousness, that God has placed his sense of righteousness inside each and every one of us, we can reject it, but as image bearers, we wanna say, man, in the area that I rule in, uh, in the area that I rule in, I wanna, I wanna rule in righteousness, I wanna treat people well. I wanna act justly and honestly. I wanna do the right thing even when it's hard to run your part of the world the way that God runs the, the world and we need his help and we need his wisdom to accomplish it, but to say, man, God, how do you want me to, to rule? What, what does it look like for me to rule my company like you rule the world? What does it look like for me to exercise my authority over my company, over my family, over my life? What kind of, God, what kind of student do you want me to be this week? It's worth considering. And lastly, and I will close here, we rule in grace. We're gonna talk about this a lot more next week. If you wanna read um, uh, Genesis chapter two, but God's grace and God's gifts are all over this story. They are all over this story. The garden is a gift. The relationship between Adam and Eve is a gift. The relationship they have with God is, is a gift. God's operating system is grace. He rules in large part with grace. And so one of the things we want to say is, man, in the area that God, in the area God that you've given me to kind of little R rule, um, how can I rule in grace when it comes to my business? How can I rule in grace when it comes to my family? How can I rule in grace when it comes to my friendships? Grace is God's way. Grace is the Jesus way. So God, in the little bit of authority you've given me, in the little bit of responsibility you've given me, I want to exercise that authority, and I want to exercise management over that in your grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. And uh, as we get ready to celebrate his grace, uh, together as a church family, and to remember his grace. May we leave here committed to doing that. We just want to bear your image well. Uh, we want to walk in love. We want to walk in righteousness. We want to walk in grace. Would you help us to exercise our authority, to exercise our influence well? Um, we thank you that you have made mankind in your image. And we've primarily today talked about uh, that on a personal level, what that looks like for each and every one of us. But I pray that when we leave here today, we would begin to see others as being made in your image as well. Help us to rule well. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. We're gonna receive communion together. It's an opportunity to remember that grace that I ended the sermon on, to remember his grace and to be committed to man. This is kind of God's operating system. So if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna be an image bearer, if I'm gonna bear his image in work and at school and in relationships, I've gotta figure the grace thing out. I gotta figure the love thing out. I gotta figure the righteousness thing out. And it can be really hard to do, but Jesus, like I said, we have an example. 
We have an example named Jesus. And uh, so we want to just remember Jesus right now. We want to ask him for his wisdom. And we want to walk the way that he's called us to walk. So we'll pass it out here. You'll find two cups stacked on top of each other. One has some juice. One has some bread representing the body and blood of Christ. And you can just spend some time with your Lord right now. Ask him for whatever you need. Wisdom. Help. Whatever. Ask him for whatever. Um, And uh, remember his grace. And then I'll come back up here in just a few minutes. And we'll receive it together as a church family.